0: incredible victory on friday night. well and, and it really was i mean um, twitter was a blazing, let's put it that way um and i think a lot of lindor and it's weird it was a weird time to happen uh, maybe it's just because cleveland was in town but jason kipnis was interviewed i think that day and t- was actually talking about the quote-unquote leadership behind Francisco Lindor, and he kind of made some off comments and kind of put, like, Lindor in a bind, like, where it was, like, he was basically saying that Lindor did, wasn't the guy, wasn't a good dude, and it's been a lot, long time removed since then, so he's actually come out and said, he apologizes. He's like, it really wasn't that bad. I just said the wrong thing, my mistake. Uh And not to mention, on my show, Brandon Tierney was killing him, was crushing him, basically saying that the Mets fan is going to hate Lindor at the end of this contract, and it was fitting. I forgot to tell you guys that WFAN and and the Mets we have a, a same script writer, and sometimes they like to like do crossover crossover <laughs> episodes. So this all worked out that Francisco Lindor was gonna was written in to have a walk off that day.
1: It worked out for you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: I by the way the the, the Jason Kipnis comment, I, I I didn't take it seriously because. Just to, just thinking about when they were teammates, Lindor was 25 years old. So to question his leadership back then to me would be irrelevant because at 25 years old, I wouldn't expect him to be a great leader. So I didn't take it necessarily that Kipness is a liar or he's a bad guy, just that that comment's relevant to me. You know, judging someone at 25 years old and their leadership doesn't really mean all that much. It just doesn't. I think with Lindor, he has been a very clutch player. Since he's been here. I think that's a fair statement to say. He's been a clutch player. He's gotten a lot of big hits for this team. And so I think the combination of that and him facing his former team, I wasn't really thinking about anything else. Not no offense to you guys or Kipnis or anything. Like that. That's not on my mind, or why I think he's gonna get a game-winning hit. It was more he's he's clutch. Look, he's been a very, very clutch Met. He has. He's gotten a lot of big hits. Over the really the last two years, I wouldn't go back to year one. Year one was not a great year. I think we all acknowledge that. And I'm able to move on from it because it doesn't matter anymore. Who cares about 2021? The team sucked. They had a couple of good months that where they teased us. But at the end of the day, they were a sub-500 team. But that win on Friday was so collective in many ways. Brett Beatty had a bunch of big hits in this game. I mean, firstly, the double didn't turn into anything, but it was still big for him to rip that double in the right field in the second inning. He hits the home run that got him a little bit closer. We mentioned Alvarez hits the home run, gets the game-tying hit. Lindor and Nimmo and McNeil all get on base before the Alonzo Grand Slam. Alonzo delivers. Tommy Hunter gets that monster out in the seventh inning. Little did we know it at the time. And the bullpen, which we'll get to because there's a lot of negative from the bullpen, but the bullpen, specifically the guys you need to trust the most, like Adam Otavino and David Robertson, also did a great job. They faced six batters, they got them all out. Drew Smith's the one who made the mistake, giving up the home run to Gabriel Arias. So it was a it was a team effort. They pick up Carrasco, who is not good in his first start back. The offense wakes up after looking lifeless over the first four innings, and they just get an incredible victory. You now, one of those victories that you pinch yourself about, and it again builds off of what Wednesday was, which was the turnaround, and now three consecutive victories after they win Friday, two of them are insane comeback wins. The offense is showing a pulse. The young guys are in the lineup because on Friday we saw Mark Vientos DHing a day after he wasn't. We saw Francisco Alvarez in the lineup. A day after he wasn't. So the youth is there. The youth all contributes too. And they get themselves a great victory. And by the way, I think I mentioned this on the last Rico that I was so happy to be there Wednesday that it would have bothered me if I wasn't in the building. I had no regrets about Friday. I think that Wednesday one was the one that would have killed me. Plus, I think when I decide and me and my wife talk a week ahead of time, like I'm not going to this game, I'm going to that game. It's much easier to rationalize when there's a great game and I'm not there. If I knew all along, I wasn't going. I was planning on going Saturday. I was going to take the whole family Saturday to Francisco Lindor. Let's grow some grass around the bobblehead day, bobblehead day. But I think we knew early on that wasn't going to happen. And good job by the Mets raining the game out. There was no reason to even try to play that game. You don't want to be like the Washington Nationals, so they can it. They make the split doubleheader. My, my only issue with the split doubleheader. So selfishly, I was going to go Saturday. I could not go to the Sunday afternoon game. I just couldn't. There were things with the kids, and I wasn't going to change it. So I ended up missing the game, which is whatever. That's Everyone's going to have a thing. Like there are certain days you would be able to go to a game. There certain days you're not. So I, you know, that's my own problem. I did go to the Sunday night game. And the one problem I have for anyone who went to this game is that when they do a split admission doubleheader, they will open up the gates for game two only an hour before first pitch. So I'm standing there online with my son about 15 minutes before the gates open. It was a crazy long line. And once the gates open, it moves relatively quickly. So I'm okay. But for anybody else, if you showed up at 6.30, God knows what that line looked like. So I just wonder... If you're going to have these split admission double two things, all right? Number one, if someone has a ticket to the next game, let them stay in the freaking building. And here's why you should let them stay in the building. They're going to give you money. I promise you. They're going to buy hot dogs. They're going to go to the team store. They're going to they're gonna beg you to take their money. I had a buddy of mine who had tickets for both games. They're so like, yeah, they kicked me out. And, and I'm sure it'd be difficult to find a system where they could check somebody. I I, I don't know what the, the way to do it is. But I'm telling you, these people who have tickets to both games, and I, again, I'm not one of them because I was not going to the first game. I'm speaking for others. They, they're going to give you money. You will make money off those suckers. So that's number one. Find a way to let them stay in the building. Number two, can you find a way to open the gates a little bit earlier than an hour before first pitch? Just find a way. What are you doing? between games you're not cleaning up there's no reason to clean up we're just gonna make a mess when we get in so what are you doing so uh, this is to the match this to every team in baseball let's fix this let's find a, a logical way to fix this with that said i gotta walk you through this so i can't go to the sunday afternoon game but boy do my kids want that francisco lindor bobblehead so instead of waiting and asking one of my ticket reps, hey, can you hold it? Maybe I'll get it some other time. We went. We went to the ballpark because I had the tickets from the Saturday game that's now been transferred to the Sunday game, except I can't use them because we're not going to the game. So me and my uh, my oldest son, Jet, went there at 1130, waited online, got our Lindor bobbles, bought him a Kodai Sanga jersey, and my youngest, a Pete Alonzo jersey, and got the hell out of town. So I guess I was at the first game. <laughs> I, was, I was there for like 10 minutes, and then we left. And they love that. They love that giveaway, by the way. Very cool concept. You They give you the seeds. They don't give you the soil. You got to put soil down around Lindor. Then you put seeds down. Then you put some more soil, water it, put it in the sun, grass is going to grow. Badass giveaway, Pete.
0: Badass giveaway. Now, was were you the was the was the line packed at eleven thirty when you got there, or was it? Minimal? Oh, dude, it was insane.
1: It oh. was insane. There were tons of people there. Luckily, when you're a season ticket holder, they have a special line for you where they'll open up the gates about a half hour early. So we were able to get in. You know, with and then by the way, there's a lot of season ticket holders. So it's not just us cruising in. I mean, that line was pretty long too. But yeah, tons of people were out there waiting for the the bobblehead. I'm not sure if it's because it's a bobblehead or because of the grass growing concept. I I was a big fan of the grass growing concept. That was my thing. I thought that was cool and different. I've never seen anything like that. It's kind of like a cheap head. No? No, because there's a misnomer (laughs) that the hair on Lindor's head is growing. That is not the case. His hair is there and it's fine. You're growing grass like on a baseball field around where Lindor is. is. Now, my question is this. They gave away 15,000 of these. How many people are going to grow the grass? I'm going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) And then I want to see how long we can keep the grass. Like, is it going to die out real quick? Like, How long is that grass going to stay next to Lindor? And I promise you this to the audience. Once the grass has successfully grown, I will bring it into the studio and have it on display at least for one show uh, during Carton and Now, as far as the game is concerned, this was a weird one for me. I always say that I DVR games like I did Friday night so I can have a life and then watch every pitch. Because I was going to the Sunday night game with my oldest son, and we had other things to do. We had a recital. Uh, my, My youngest had a birthday party, just, you know, Kid stuff, nothing, nothing shocking. There was no way I could DVR this game because what am I DVR? How can I DVR it and then proceed to go to a game? I wouldn't have enough time. So I was saying to my wife, I was like, this is weird. I'm going to finally be the guy who can't watch the game. Like I'm going to have to listen to it or check my phone once in a while. But this is going to be one of those rare games. I can't score. I can't sit down and watch it. So it is what it is. So I'll take you through what I actually saw from this game. I watched, or I should say, yeah, I watched about the first two innings of the game. So great work by Max Scherzer. No work by this Met offense. I then went to my son's recital, I'd say right around the fourth inning. So 0-0, zero, zero, Scherzer's pitching well, and the phone is now just using being used for videos. I am not checking anything. So I'm out. I'm completely out for about a good hour or so. My heart's beating a little bit, like, what's happening? How am I going to find out? But took some good videos, a good dad, good f- husband. Then me and my son leave. He leaves the recital. My wife goes home with our youngest, and me and my oldest are going to city Field. I got into the car right as the Mets took the 3-0 lead. Actually, right as they took a 2-0 lead because I think I saw Nimmo hit the home run or heard Brandon Nimmo hit the home run. Howie, Rose, and Keith, Rad, tremendous job. Really one of the first times I, I listen, listen to them because now I'm relying on them. I'm not scoring the game, not DVRing it, not nothing like that. So I'm fully aware now, up 3 nothing. I'm fully aware that Max is coming out of this game after six innings, which it is what it is. Like... I will say this, Pete. I did because you're not watching every pitch, or I wasn't watching every pitch, not you, I didn't have a feel for if Max could have gone out for a seventh thing. So I could sit here and give you some fake strong opinion, but what would it really be based on? Like I'm not sitting there watching every one of Max pitches where you have a better feel for how he's throwing and if he could go out for another inning. What I do know is there were only four base runners against him. What I do know is that his pitch count was 86, which is not abnormally high. So on the surface, I'd say, why not? But I don't want to get nuts about it because of the fact I didn't see him pitching innings four through six. But six scoreless innings, no complaint from me. I mean, he's put together two really good performances in a row. And yeah, now you're asking for nine outs out of your bullpen. But with a 3 nothing lead, at least at the time, I thought that was reasonable. I thought that was okay. You, you okay with are coming out after six, or you got an issue with it?
0: I mean, maybe not in this game was I upset by it, but I do want him to go further in games, yeah. I, I know, I guess we're still ramping up to get seven innings plus, but uh, I'll, for this game, I understood the, the reason why.
1: Yeah, I, I think eventually, yes, six innings, 86 pitches, we're going to say, go get me a seventh. Go get me another one, and I think we may say more of that because there is some uncertainty in this bullpen, which we'll address. Uh, Brooks Raleigh does a fine job, and then we have Adam Adovino. Adam Adovino has had a very up-and-down season so far. We've seen the good of Adam Ovino where he's come in in ninth innings after David Robertson has actually pitched some eighth innings, and he's done a fine job. We saw the good of Adam Ovino on Friday night, if we're being fair. Yeah, it was against the bottom of the order, but still, tie game after that great comeback, he pitched a one, two, three inning is what it is we saw, or in my case, we heard the really bad from Adam Adovino in this game, in the eighth inning, trying to protect a three, nothing lead. I, I don't know if I would have pulled him early because I think a part of the problem is where, and who are you going to? He gives up a leadoff double, but then he gets two outs in a row. So even though a run scores, it's three to one. And it's like, okay, he can get through this. He gives up a double to Stephen Kwan, which is not a matchup you like. But, again, where are you going? You just used Brooks Raleigh in inning earlier. Brooks Raleigh in inning earlier. He gives up the single to Ahmed Rosario. Little blooper. Didn't pound the ball by any stretch. And that's where Buck makes the call to go to David Robertson. And he has been aggressive at times with David Robertson. And he brings him in to face Jose Ramirez, where... What is your option? I'll ask that to any Mets fan listening. You want to go to Drew Smith? Do you want to keep Adam out of Eno in? Probably not at that point after giving up back-to-back hits. And now he's given up three hits in the inning. So fine, you go to David Robertson. And David has been great, but he's pitched a lot recently. Mets had to rain out on Saturday to give him a day. But before that, the guy went out and pitched three days in a row. I was almost surprised he pitched as well as he did on Friday, considering he was pitching three days in a row. And David Robertson makes the mistake to Jose Ramirez on a fly ball to center field that just kept going and going and going. And it gets out for a two-run home run. And Cleveland comes back and takes the lead. And, (laughs) this felt like crap. Driving a city field. All right, well, you know, win the second game of the doubleheader. It's no big deal. But this felt like a real sucky kind of loss. That's the way it felt. And considering that they hit Class A on Friday, my brain moves into territory of they better score in the eighth because I don't think you're beating Class A twice. I don't think you are. Brett Beatty, to his credit, draws the leadoff walk. And then before you could even get too nervous, Starling Marte drives a ball to right field. That goes over the right fielder's head. It goes over all of our heads. And it's a two-run home run. And believe it or not, Starling Marte gets his first extra base hit in a freaking month. In a month. Even when he has shown a pulse at the plate recently, it's been some line drives, but singles to center field. He's been a single sitter. So for Starling Marte to, to deliver the breakthrough extra base hit, the one he hasn't had in a month, and to do it in that spot right after the Mets just gave up the lead with their best reliever on the mound, That was so money by Starling Marte. So money, so clutch. And the Mets retake the lead. He allows Robertson to pitch the ninth, which was the only logical choice. He had Dominic Leone warming up. At least that's what Howie Rose said on the radio broadcast. They had Dominic Leone warming up. Robertson was asked after the game, were you pitching the ninth even if the Mets didn't score? And Robertson said, that was my impression. Guess what, D-Rob? It wasn't going to happen. Because Buck had someone else warming up. And thank God Marte hit the home run. Because then Robertson gets a chance at a reprieve, and he gets the job done, and the Mets escape. And the Mets win yet another game. Even though this one felt differently, because they had the lead for a bunch of the, bunch of time, but another game in which they are dead to rights, and they come back. This one in the eighth inning. But I can't say enough about Starling Marte and how shocking that was. Did any Met fan sit there and think when Brett Beatty drew that leadoff oh, walk that Starling Marte was just gonna hit a two-run home run to erase the Jose Ramirez home run? I didn't see that one coming.
0: That was stunning to me. Nah, I mean he's been I don't want to say he he's a shell of himself right now, but it feels like he's a different he's completely different than he was last year. Last year, you felt that when he was hurt. And out of the lineup, it's like, oh my God, Starling Marte is not here. And that's the difference maker. Even in the playoffs, you felt like he was the reason why they weren't hitting as well because of Starling Marte. This year, I mean, he's played on played a lot, and he just is it's not he's not him, put it that way, up until up until today. But maybe that swing
1: is what changes it. Just kind of like how the win Wednesday seems to have changed the season. And if Starling Marte is gonna look half as good as he looked last year to go along with a hot Lindor and a hot Alonzo and a Jeff McNeil hitting close to 300 and all the young bats. Then this lineup goes from everyone's public enemy. Number one, to a real strength.